Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Tina Sire, PCA Chief Impact Officer. Dr. Amanda Visick is a sports scientist and associate professor at the George Washington University Department of Exercise and Nutrition Sciences in the Milken Institute School of Public Health. A certified consultant by the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, Dr. Visick has worked with athletes from the youth to college level. Her research exploring what makes sports fun for kids holds many rich insights for coaches and parents, and we'll explore this research during our interview today. She identifies three fun factors, positive team dynamics, trying hard, and positive coaching as carrying the greatest importance when it comes to making sports fun for kids. Her work has been featured in USA Today, The Washington Post, The Huffington Post, CBS Radio, ABC News, NBC News, Fox News, and others, and has also been featured in Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, Holland, Poland, and India. She has authored over 25 peer-reviewed papers, five book chapters, and has given more than 116 refereed and invited talks. As the recipient of Early Career Achievement Awards from the Association for Applied Sports Psychology and the American Psychological Association's Division 47, she's a fantastic expert for us to learn from today. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today for this Positive Coaching Alliance one-on-one podcast. Thank you. So, you know, working for Positive Coaching Alliance, I come across people who sort of scoff at this term fun, and they think fun in sports, <laughs> oh, that's so soft, and, you know, you guys are too soft. Um, why is it that fun is something that coaches and parents should really prioritize? It's really important that fun becomes prioritized because one of the things that we understand from the sports science that's ha- that has already been done is that the number one determinant of whether or not a child continues to play her his sport is fun. And the number one reason why they drop out is because it's not fun anymore. So I think that really sort of underscores when we talk about attrition and retention rate, the significance and the importance of better understanding what it really means to a child to have the most fun, the most positive sport experiences possible. You know, right now I'm a I'm a parent of an eight year old and a six year old and I can really see how fun is important. Um I'm wondering if by the time my kids are in high school and maybe playing a little bit more competitively, is fun still as important at that level? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um and that's one of the, the big misconceptions about fun, right? So very often people will think that fun is for the rec kids. Right, but if you're going to play, you know, travel or high-level competitive youth sport, that that then comes at the expense of a fun, and that's most certainly not the case based upon the research that we've done, um, which actually shows that, you know, based upon what children define as fun that it's really this accumulation of all of these different fun determinants that a child experiences while they're participating that then leads to greater and long-term sport outcomes, right? So we talk about 
wanting to uh, sustain children's participation. We want to enhance their sport performance and their, their personal development. And with the research that we've been doing, one of the things that we find is that fun is an essential part of that experience and that pathway. So you talked earlier about sort of participation rates and retention rates. Um, do we have a problem in this country when it comes to youth sports participation? Or, um, I mean, every every time I, I go out to the parks, I see them full of kids playing and the gyms feel full. Um, do, do we really have an issue with the rate of participation in youth sports here? Absolutely. Um, I think that that would be a resounding yes. Uh, based upon based upon the the literature and the science that we have to date, one of the things that we know is that children's participation patterns in organized youth sport actually mimic the same uh, drop in physical activity patterns across all children. And mm. so, when we look at youth sport as sort of under its own microscope, we can certainly identify you know, the, the positive uh, benefit, right, of sport participation, but um, just as quickly, you know, parents and, and coaches can immediately identify sort of the negative things that have sort of captured the sport culture today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the way you keep saying sort of based on the research and when we look at the research and I was in preparing for our interview today, I looked at your Twitter feed and, and I saw that in your Twitter bio you say you're having a ball leveraging evidence-based fun in youth sports. And I'm curious, what was it that first got you interested in fun and sort of taking your research in the direction to dig deeper about what does fun really mean? That's a great question. Um, my background and training is in sports psychology. That was my that's my doctoral degree. Um, but I, I work in a school of public health here at George Washington University. And so one of the things that I really wanted to do is, given my love and passion for sport at all levels, um, was really identify how sport can be a solution to public health problems. Right. And so when we think about the overweight and obesity epidemic uh, right now and children's physical inactivity and sedentary behavior, an immediate solution to this to me is organized youth sport. Right. Yep. But when we consider, mm -hmm. you know, the number one reason why kids drop out, but also why they continue to play, then fun becomes sort of the the central focus of all of this and when you look at the when you look at the literature that's out there there certainly wasn't enough that had been done in this area and so that's what that's what spurred my interest to do more yeah and i'm curious when you started the work um did you enter it with your own definition of what fun is <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've looked at some of your research, and I was really surprised to see, like, the number of responses people gave you about what is fun in sports and what leads to fun in sports and sort of how you took all that information in and digested it and organized it. So I'm curious if you could sort of tell us about that process, about how you went about defining fun through your research. Yeah, absolutely. 
So what we did is we did what's called a, a mixed method study, which means that we went out into the youth sport community. We asked kids, parents, and coaches um, to identify all of the things that make playing sports fun, as many different things as they could think of. And once we had gathered all this data, we then synthesized it. And one of the things that we realized is that when it comes to identifying all the things that make playing sports fun, that the parents, the coaches, and the kids had done a phenomenal job at identifying 81 specific ideas, which we call fun wow. determinants. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that really blew us away um, that we could take this construct like fun, as you had sort of, um, you know, mentioned at, at the beginning of the talk here, as sort of this sort of soft concept. Well, yeah. now, you know, we have, you know, from from the the children's voices themselves, they say, you know, fun is more than just the sort of abstract, elusive, kind of emotive feeling. Like, you know when you have fun, and then you also certainly know when you're not having fun. And they did a fantastic job of basically taking this abstract concept and blowing it up into 81 pieces that really sort of operationally define what fun is for a kid when they're playing youth sports. Amanda, I'm curious if you could tell our audience what are examples of some of those fun determinants, and maybe it's easier to talk about how you arrange them into the larger fun factor groupings, but can you tell our audience sort of what are some of those things um, that the kids and the parents and the athletes uh, said? What were some of those determinants? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the, uh, I think one of the, the obvious ones that people tend to say very often and they say, well, winning has to be in there, right? It certainly, it certainly is one, (laughs) one of the 81. Um, but there are lots of different ideas. Um, everything from, you know, kids wanting to have well-organized practices to getting playing Mm -hmm. time, um, Mm -hmm. to, you know, really trying their best and competing hard, they define as fun. And there's even, you know, a number of different positive coaching behaviors that they define as as being fun as well. So when we think about, you know, we have 81 discrete fun ideas. Again, we call the, the fun determinants. And Once we had that data, we went back to these kids, the parents and the coaches, and we asked them to help organize these ideas for us in a way that made sense to them. And Mm. the easiest way to describe this for the children in particular was we would go and we would say, you know, most everyone has gone trick-or-treating, right? And they all sort of shake their head, yes, and they're smiling, And, you know, I would ask them, so after you go trick-or-treating and you come home, what's the first thing that you do? And then they all, you know, sort of scream and shout that they they dump all their candy out and they organize it. So we said that's exactly what what we want you to help us do with these 81 fun determinants, these ideas that you guys generated. And Mm -hmm. so each kid sat with an index, uh, index card 
of like a deck of cards. So each idea was on one single card. Each kid got its own deck. And we asked them to just pile sort them in a way that made sense to them. There was no right or wrong way to sort these different ideas. And Mm -hmm. as they were going around and sorting, we said, you know, it's also important for us to understand, like, what you would call this pile right here and what you would Hmm. name this pile over here. So we had them using Post-its and a pen write the name of that pile that best represented the ideas that they were sorting together. So Mm -hmm. we took all of that data and that's essentially where we end up getting what's known as the fun maps because we have all of this data now, all 81 ideas and how they were sorted um, as an aggregate altogether based upon the kids sorting data, the parents and the players. And now we have a visual map that illustrates what fun looks like and how the different ideas are related to one another. So essentially those 81 ideas ended up falling into 11 big fun factors. And those Mm -hmm. fun factors are games and practices, learning and improving, trying hard, and what the kids also called mental bonuses. Hmm. There's positive team dynamics, team Hmm. friendships, team rituals, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. also game time support, positive coaching, and what they also called swag. So (laughs) all all of those 11 fun factors collectively make up the 81 determinants of fun. And that's what's super neat about this particular research is all of this is illustrated in a map with a visual representation. Yeah, you just you just gave us a lot there. And I'm curious if our listeners wanted to learn more and go read up on those 11 fun factors, where could they find more information about it? So they can... Um, they can contact me directly if they'd like to do so. So they can email me at avisic at gw.edu, um, and I'd be happy to, to share the paper. It's also a public access uh, research paper as well since it was funded by the National Institutes of Health. So mm-hmm. they can go on PubMed online and just type in a keyword search so you can search by visic and fun and it should pop up right there for them as well awesome so v-i-s-e-k that's great visic um this is it's so breaking it down even further um i know you have highlighted um some things you just mentioned but positive team dynamics trying hard and positive coaching Um, as sort of three fun factors that are of the greatest importance um, when it comes to making sports fun for kids. And I'm curious how those three things rose to the top. So, again, positive team dynamics, trying hard, and positive coaching. Yeah, great question. So after we had the kids um, sort all of the ideas into those fun factors, we also asked them to rate on a scale of one to five how important each of these things was to having fun, right? Because if there are 81 specific things that make playing sport fun, they can't all be equally important. 
And so mm-hmm. we told them that we wanted them to help sort of, you know, decipher and differentiate those things that were more fun versus less fun. And so that's how that's how we got that data in terms of understanding what the kids really say is most important to them. And so were they pardon me, were they rating yeah. the um 11 fun factors 1 to 5 or, were, or you know with a rating of 1 to 5 or were they rating all 81? Um, of they, the determinants. Yeah, that's a great question. They were rating all 81. Wow, okay. Yeah. You got these kids to do a lot. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. And um, and so you were saying, again, so once they did this rating, you looked at that, and that's mm-hmm. where those three things rose to the surface? Yeah. And so, for example, um, there were, or there are, rather, 12 fun determinants within positive coaching, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we looked at the rating data, when we looked at how those 12 items were rated, they, on that one to five scale, together through the average of the 12 was quite high compared to the other fun factors. And so that's Hmm. how trying hard positive team dynamics and positive coaching rose to the top was based upon how they were rated by the children. And what's really kind of neat about this data is that because we can display it visually for parents and coaches and administrators to see, we've produced what's called a three-dimensional fun map. And so you can look at this three-dimensional map and immediately see that positive coaching, positive team dynamics, and trying hard are the most important because on the 3D map, they have a greater number of layers, which represents their importance. And then we can Mm. very quickly see that um, the fun factors, including team rituals and swag, actually were rated near the bottom. Yeah. Well, as um as a current youth sports coach, I was really interested to look at the fun determinants around positive coaching and sort of mm-hmm. those that got, I almost would say, like the highest rankings or the most votes. Um, and I'm hoping we can dive into that for our coaches who are listening. Um, you know, some of the stuff that was the most highly rated um, uh, or maybe the number one, a coach who who you can talk to easily. Um, another one, a nice, friendly coach. Um, another one, having a coach who is a positive role model, um, a coach who allows mistakes um, while staying positive. Um, can right. you talk a little bit more about if you were speaking to youth coaches and you were going to say, here are a few things from my research that will help you make sure your kids are having as much fun, therefore sticking with it, performing their best. Um, what, were, what are those big takeaways for youth coaches from your research? I'd say, you know, when it comes to positive coaching based upon the data that we have, that one of the biggest takeaways um, that I think is is often maybe underappreciated is knowledge of the sport. Mm, and, okay. you know, a coach who knows a lot about the sport was one of the most highly rated fund determinants within positive coaching. And so I think that, you know, this really sort of underscores the importance of coaching education and training because part of what makes this experience the most fun for kids is when they're they're really learning a lot about the sport and 
the the coach sort of positions themselves as a positive role model just through knowledge alone is one way that mm-hmm. that can happen. Um, yep. The other things, you know, when you look at positive coaching, you know, Having a having a coach that um, treats players with respect, that has a, a lot of knowledge about the sport, um, is very encouraging, gives very clear, consistent communication, was mm. was a fun determinant as well. Um, a, a coach who allows mistakes while staying positive was really important. And I think when you consider all twelve different fund determinants within positive coaching, it's really important to understand that those things that I just mentioned are really more important to kids than, you know, just having a coach that jokes around with them or that, you know, gets in, gets in there on the field and plays with them or, um, you know, is just getting compliments. They're really looking for someone that, like I said, has a lot of knowledge that gives them great feedback um, that is someone that they can look up to and that is, that is really encouraging. You know, fun is about making mistakes and having successes. And it's through those mistakes that they learn more about the game and how to improve so that they can have more successes. And so when you sort of take the fun map and all the data that it has to offer us, we really start to see how the different fun factors are interrelated and how there's sort of this domino effect. So really, if we can capitalize on positive coaching, which is one of the three most important fun factors, that through positive coaching, you have a role model that can foster those positive team dynamics, that can really work with a child towards trying their hardest and giving their best effort, and from that, learning and improving and then it's sort of like the, the other fun factors then sort of fall into place. Were there like a top two things if we were going to send a coach away saying if you want to create a positive coaching culture um, and this is what, you know, Dr. Visick's research would say, are there like two or three top things you'd want that coach to have in mind? I would say, you know, for coaches, I think really looking closely at the 12 um, – positive coaching fund determinants and self-reflecting on those Mm -hmm. things that, um, that you, that you, you know, sort of do like a self, a self-assessment, you know, what am I doing well on? What maybe could I do better? Um, because one of the neat things about this research is from a positive coaching perspective, you know, we have these 12 fund determinants and the kids have prioritized these for us. You know, so we know that, you know, knowledge and um, being encouraging and allowing mistakes is far more important than just, you know, being approachable and joking around with the kids. Um, And and the second sort of big takeaway is that one of the questions that I always get is, you know, well, where was winning among the 81 (laughs) fund determinants, right? Right, right. and when you ask, you know, coaches and parents, they give all sorts of different numbers, but it, the numbers that they tend to give tend to be near the top, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so it comes as quite a surprise when I tell them that among the 81 fund determinants, winning came in at number 48. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Which means, right, that there are 47 other fun determinants that are more important than winning. And so the big message, yes, it was mm-hmm. based upon the rating system. And, you know, th- I think the big takeaway from that is that, you know, fun is really about the process, right? Winning is, mm. winning is an outcome. Um, yeah. And it's not something that, you know, particularly in team sports that you have, you don't have full control over your opposition, and so Absolutely. I think the kids have done a really good job at telling us where the focus needs to be. And the focus is on the process. When, when you not started this outcome. research, yeah, did you have your whole methodology set out ahead of time? Or when you got 81 fund determinants, did your method change where you're like, wow, now we need to, you know, do some sorting and we need to do some reading? Or did you have all <laughs> that laid out ahead of time? It was it was all laid out ahead of time, and and I mm-hmm. I I must say that um, when we got through the first phase, which was what we call the brainstorming phase, right, where they came up mm-hmm. with as many different ideas as they could, and once we had analyzed that data, when I saw that we were working with basically a list of eighty-one specific things, that was a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. So. You know, as a sports scientist, you know, you, you're you trying to really sort of um, get the best research that you can while also balancing that with the burden that it places on, on the participant, on the kid to provide you that data. Yep. Yep. And, you know, with 81, it was, it was so much, um, which is fantastic and at the same time, you know, can be a little bit overwhelming, which I think is why it's really important to sort of focus on what the data is showing us among those 81. And we as coaches can look specifically at the determinants that make up trying hard, positive team dynamics and positive coaching because among those 81 altogether, those three factors make up 28. And so mm-hmm. the, those 28 mm-hmm. individual and collective behaviors are really where a coach can start. Well, you talked about 81 fun determinants being overwhelming. And going back to your Halloween metaphor, I think my yeah. six-year-old got 102 pieces of candy this year, which felt very <laughs> overwhelming, which he said out sorting. <laughs> so I have no doubt that kids can sort 81 things. What age, um, I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more yeah. about sort of who were these kids and where did you find them and their age and their sort of level of, um, were they rec, were they competitive? What what did they look like? So it was important to us to get um, the most represented, generalizable uh, population of kids that we could. And so because of the the high burden, the intricacies of, of getting kids to brainstorm, sort, and rate um, as, as part mm-hmm. of this research study, we saturated ourselves in soccer, the sport of soccer. Mm-hmm. And we did that because soccer is one of the most socioeconomically available or accessible, rather, um, mm-hmm. sports for children. And there's mm-hmm. a huge saturation of it in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And mm-hmm. so in doing that, we collected data from girls and boys, rec mm-hmm. 
kids as well as travel kids and older mm-hmm. kids as well as younger kids. So it was really important to us to be able to stratify our sample in that particular way so that we could look to see if there were potentially differences among the groups. And what was sort of your youngest kid and your oldest kid in the study? Uh, great question. So the kids ranged in age from 8 all the way up to 19. Cool. Great. And then you also looked at um, the coaches and parents, and but I think maybe not in as quite a great a number as the kids. Is that true? Yeah, it was um... – it was a bit easier, actually, getting the kids to participate in the research activities than it was uh, getting the coaches and the parents. So the sample sizes for those are a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Why was it harder to get the adults? Ah, uh, you know, so what was really interesting was it was actually the hardest getting the coaches to participate. Hmm. And I think... Um, Based upon our experiences and working with them, um, you know, the, the parents are like, this is really important research, and so they, they tended to stay on top of it a little bit more. I think for a lot of the youth sport coaches, um, you know, you think about sort of the burden of their own schedules, and many of them are moms and dads, you know, of America that are coaching on top of full-time jobs and, you know, having a family and everything else. And so I think sometimes for the coaches, it it just it tended to be sort of one more thing to do, even though they were really intrigued um, mm-hmm. about, about the whole research process. Um, it took a little bit more nudging to get them to complete everything in the end. Yep. Well, um, Amanda, I feel like we were just only able to scratch the surface um, of some of your work and the takeaways for coaches and parents, but I really appreciate you taking the time with me and with Positive Coaching Alliance today. And I would encourage people um, who want to learn more, you know, you were kind enough to give out your email address, um, avisek, which is V-I-S-E-K at G-W dot E-D-U, if people want to email you to see some of your research or, um, you know, your Twitter handle is also great. Um, it's at AJ Visick. Um, so I just wanted to thank you. And it's just such a huge contribution to the whole field. Um, and I feel like you're doing a wonderful job of making it tangible for people. And so those of us who are practitioners um, can, can read it and it's digestible and figure out how it can actually impact our sports parenting and our coaching. And so I just really want to applaud you um, for this research and thank you and, and encourage you to do more of it because we could certainly use, use more as we're out there talking to people about positive coaching. Yeah, thank you, Tina. It's, it's been a pleasure today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.